about you, but I want to figure out how to be a little more balanced. Life is full of chaos, adventure, and the unknown. I am on the search to hear from those who can make this journey more fun and easy as I learn how to be better to myself, enhance my health, and be a part of ending human trafficking. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of The Balanced Girl. I am Kinsey Pentecost, your host, and I am all about living for something bigger than me. Join me in a conversation with a fierce survivor of human trafficking, Miss Connie Rose. She is going to share her story and give us easy ways to be a part of the solution when it comes to ending human trafficking. Hello, Connie Rose. Welcome hey, back. How are you? Good. I'm saying welcome back because this is going back to your radio days. It is going back to my radio days and it's going back to our, our radio days, our TV days. Remember we shot a couple of shows in Sarasota? We did. Man, yeah. Connie, we had some fun and changed some lives along the way. I am so excited to have you on my podcast. You're my first guest. And for those of you that don't know Miss Connie Rose, she is a survivor of sex trafficking. She leads a nonprofit organization focused on ending human trafficking, and she supports survivors. And to be honest, she taught me more than I could have ever wished for. And really, Connie, you just poured into me and helped me when I first started my career in um, learning about human trafficking. And I'm delighted to be able to talk to you today. And and uh, I just love talking to you any chance I can get. So this is fun. It's great. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Excited. So, I mean, let's start off a little bit. I mean, I know most people don't know who you are and that are going to get to know you. And you have your own nonprofit, but I just want to know, you know, like, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and why you're so passionate about ending human trafficking. Well, I think I'm going to start with, I'm a grandma, so I'm going to start there first. Um, so I am a, a grandmother, two wonderful, beautiful uh, little boys, and um, my son and daughter-in-law with my grandsons live in the, in the boonies in Pennsylvania. And um, my daughter is a chiropractor in Colorado. And the reason that I chose to start with them is because they are my number one driving force of why it is so important to have a voice and for survivors to have a voice, but also for parents, for parents to really understand really how easy it is for their children to fall in to this trap. But then I just have to share, there's one other person in my life, um, and he's my love. And uh, his name is Rick, or I call him Rico. And the reason I'm just sharing this just very, very briefly is because you see, he's the very first person I ever told about the sexual abuse when I was 15 years old and we were dating in high school. And uh, he went off to college and fast forward 40 years later, our same friend got us back together and we will be celebrating 10 years on November 3rd. So he is my, one of my biggest cheerleaders and also really gets how important this work is to make sure that men, women, men, children, uh, grandparents, that everyone really understands that this doesn't just happen to those people. 
It can happen to the girl next door. It can happen. Mm. That was me, upper middle class, raised Catholic and Greek Orthodox on the waters and suburbs of Tampa Bay and was trafficked for four years of my life. Yeah, I mean, I honestly learned so much, but I think so many people just think that trafficking is happening overseas. Um, it's happening and people are abducted and stolen. And, you know, that's less than 1% of the population. And, you know, um, would you mind sharing, Connie, who your trafficker was? So my trafficker was my father. And so I um, I am a survivor of over 14 years of incest. And with incest comes pornography, it comes exploitation. Um, of course, a lot of sexual abuse. There's a lot of domestic violence in our household. There was alcoholism, drug addiction. So a lot of mental and physical um, abuse as well. And quite honestly, I had always thought, because um, my parents did not grow up you know, with money and we weren't really wealthy, um, but I just thought, oh, my God, how cool is it that I, I uh, was a ballerina? So I took dance lessons and I modeled and I was in beauty pageants. And like, how cool was that, that I was being gifted this so that later on in life, I would have the grace to, you know, be able to compose myself and speak and, and do all the things that I do today. Um, but little did I know that it was the grooming process. Little did I know that uh, being on the runway was a, a way for my father to advertise me to other men. And how I found that out was um, I had um, been on the runway and I made all my own gowns. And I remember walking down the runway and having these men staring at me in such a way that I literally, I can still, I looked down thinking, oh my God, did I forget to put my slip on? Like, could you see like straight through? And, um, you know, we got home and I said to my mom, like, mom, this was like, so like icky feeling like these men were staring at me in such a way, like I had no clothes on. And she just, you know, sweetie, they're just someone's grandpa or whatever. I don't think that's what it was. And then a couple of days later, my father came in my room to do what he traditionally would do. And I had started hiding a knife underneath my bed. Because I literally had come to that point of how do I do this anymore? How do I attend Greek? Because I was raised Catholic Greek Orthodox. So how do I go to both church services and sit there next to him while my mother sings soprano in the choir? How do I go to school? And my nickname in high school was Prudence. And here I am being trafficked. Um, or this hadn't happened yet, but I was being sexually abused. Um, how, how I just did not know how to live three lives anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so he came in my room and I remember literally pulling a knife and putting it to his back. And I said, I'm done. You will never, ever touch me again. And imagine, just imagine for all the survivors of domestic violence, sexual violence, trafficking that have had the power and strength to pull from within and say, I'm done. And then to have that same person laugh in your face and say, This is the day I've been waiting for. And I remember looking at him like, what? And he recanted the story I had shared with you with my mom about these men looking at me. And he said, oh, yeah, they've been waiting for this day, too. And so all along, all those years was literally about just grooming me and marketing me. And he said, you're going to be a prostitute. 
And quite honestly, this is in the 70s because, yes, I'm a little bit older. Um, this is in the 70s. And I remember my, my soon-to-be 16-year-old brain, the first thought was, ooh, that means I don't have to have sex with him anymore. My second thought was, well, if I really followed through and killed him, Maybe all those people that were whispering, by the way, that's going to be the name of my book, Whispers. Um, but all those people that were whispering, like, why does she have to go off with him? Why does she always have to be with him? Like all the whys to my mother, then maybe now they would come forward and say, this is what we saw. And instead, he laughed in my face. He said, you're going to be a prostitute. I didn't really think a 16-year-old uh, Christian girl could be a prostitute. So I said, okay. And the next four years of my life was pure hell. Now, I, one of the things that I, I do want to point out, I know Ken's and I will talk about this in a moment, because there's all different ways that this happens. This is my story. My story mm. is not that uncommon. It is 35% of sex trafficking survivors. It's a family member. 35%. Mm. If I don't know the percentage of how many are like uh, in the suburbs, but suburbs... It's huge what's happening out in the suburbs. And so just because I still lived at home and I still went to school and I still went to church and was allowed to do all my extracurricular activities, I still had a quota. That did not stop. I still got beaten if I did not meet my quota. I still got mm. threatened if I did not meet my quota. And, you know, that is, you know, thank you, Connie, for sharing your story, because that number should alarm everyone listening. Over 30% is trafficked by a family member. And and that doesn't even count, Connie. Think of all the, uh, the survivors that we've known and worked with and how many of them were sexually abused and that led them to run away or to the streets or to be vulnerable to a trafficker. So right. that doesn't even account for that. And and I just think the amount of people that hear these stories and don't believe someone because it's easier to not believe that this is happening. And so um, I love uh, how you've used this to save so many lives. So I, I just applaud you for that. Well, thank you, Kenzie. And and one of the things that I would just like to point out, if I may, is that we have we have um, very robust conversations about those that are vulnerable. And what we do know is that our children that are in foster care are very, very vulnerable. But I do want to point out that every single girl, primarily, because that's that's my world that I work in. Okay, every single female, every single every single girl is vulnerable because of the way that society objectifies women. Mm, so mm. yes, do we have a certain population that's a little bit more vulnerable? Absolutely. But to hyper-focus on that side and not have these very robust conversations about objectivity and pornography and that it can happen to just to anyone. I, I just don't, you know, I, I'm such an advocate for, uh, parents and having crucial conversations because mm -hmm. I love what you just said because here we are I mean look at TikTok I mean TikTok you got little girls out there like twerking you got parents right. sharing that like oh my daughter's so cute mm -hmm. and I'm cringing I'm like not only are we like supporting this but it's coming from the home of like 
right. oh, look at your likes and it's celebrated mm-hmm. to be objectified. And so I think we've moved even into a darker moment of celebration of this is what a little girl is supposed to do. And this is how she's supposed to act and, and the sexting and, you know, everything going on. It really scares me. And when parents are like, what can I do to stop trafficking? I'm like, oh my gosh, talk to your children. Yes. Just talk to them. Mm -hmm. Just have a conversation. So Mm -hmm. I love that you're, you're saying that. And, you know, I, I just want to rewind a little bit, Connie. (laughs) Sure. I let's rewind, you know, so Connie and I started working together and, and I actually, I think I was like, um, I don't even know if I've ever told you this. I'm sure I have because Connie and I have traveled across the world together <laughs> and shared a lot of hotel rooms and yeah. had a, a lot of plane rides. And um, my first I was Snapchat. a fan. <laughs> Your yeah. first Snapchat. We were at a porn conference. <laughs> yeah, see, we've been to porn conferences. We've been around the world. And things you, you never think you would have to say, you know, when my mom would say, where, what were you doing today? And I'm like, oh, I'm teaching um, sex tricks to women in the trade, you know, yeah. prostituting or whatever. And my mom's like, what? You yeah. went to college for what? <laughs> and uh, yeah, my career became very interesting. But I, I honestly, I was a fan girl. I was such a fan of yours. I'd heard you speak before at conferences. And I think the first conference I heard you speak at was a shared hope conference. And I just thought, whoa, this woman is a force to be reckoned with. And I couldn't believe when we ended up with the same organization working together and we got to partner. And I mean, you taught me so much. Do you remember any of your first memories of us working together? Well, I I remember one of your stalking episodes, though. It was actually in Tampa. (laughs) (laughs) When the name was still, it was Sayla. I think it was called being Sayla House. So the name was still being formulated and, and Lori had those business cards of um, like on the beach kind of thing, right? And you, uh, a few of you were attending a training in Tampa and um, we ended up sitting like next to each other and you were like, oh my God, she's like here, I've been stalking you. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> that sounds real subtle. Real, and then- real subtle. And then uh, the house, the the house hadn't quite opened, but it was like July of the year of the house opening, and um, I was invited down to speak. And then you were there, and you were like, "Oh my God, she's like here!" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> do, do you see how my version was like classier? I was like, "Yeah, then I saw." No, it was not like, that yeah. classy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to no. <laughs> remember myself more classy but no very, that's you true dressed very classy and very elegant well yeah you you were a big deal so I I didn't take it lightly um I used to have Connie come sit and watch uh me do trainings to give me like uh tips or things maybe I was saying wrong because um I think the biggest thing that we can do wrong is think we know how to treat a survivor or a victim and leading them to become a survivor. And so, um, being, becoming, uh, a peer or a colleague with Connie was like a dream, but I just realized what I had at my fingertips. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I need to listen, sit and listen. And so Connie used to come and (laughs) listen to me do (laughs) trainings with police. And I was like, brace yourself. 
They don't <laughs> love what I'm saying yet, but they will love it someday. <laughs> oh no! Then we became a, and then we became a sidekick. Then from that, we just did most of the trainings together, which was great because I would have to leave my house at 4.30 in the morning to be down for roll call where you lived five minutes away. But um, it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Roll call. I wasn't a morning person, but I'd get a Starbucks. Yeah, you Um, did. You got Starbucks. Yeah, you were great. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we weren't really, you know, I think nowadays it's a buzzword. You know, people, what's interesting and gosh, Connie, you've been doing this for longer than I have, but even when we started working together, people didn't believe us. People didn't, you know, they like to separate um, prostitution from, uh, it was a choice. They love, children were still prostituting in Florida at the time. So you were allowed to legally um, prostitute yourself as a child, which meant if you were picked up for prostitution, you'd go to jail. So we were picking up 15, 16 year olds and they were going to jail. And, um, and so it was a different world then. And I think now people are starting to, believe it or, um, accept it. Uh, it's becoming more mainstream, but you know, do you, what are you seeing right now as some of the changes that we still need to overcome? Well, I I have to say that even though the laws have changed and that children are not prostitutes and, you know, we have written that in to law federally and, and statewide, um, it is sad that children are still being called prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is sad that uh, the choice, you know, well, they made a choice. And when I say they, I'm talking about children, but I'm also talking about adults. And it's about why did they make that choice? Because a lot, I made a choice. Several survivors that Kenzie and I uh, worked with made a choice. But what's the underlying reason? And we're going to go back to what we started off with, sexual abuse. If you have, we have 70 to 92% of sex trafficking survivors were sexually abused between the age of three and five years old. And then what did that lead to? And then when you, when you take that and then you talk about a choice, well, if, if you didn't have a choice about your body when you were younger, right, then you've kind of lost, what does that mean to have a choice to have control over my body? And then you also have this mindset well, it was already taken from me, but here's the other thing that I learned that I have a commodity, that I have something to exchange so that I can have food, I can have shelter, I can have clothing, I can feel safe, even if it's just for a moment, even though it might be in a stranger's bed. All the things that each and every one of you take for granted, a victim is striving just to be able to survive. And so it's about having these robust conversations and breaking it down to what's age appropriate for our children, but also then understanding, and this is where this has not changed at all, Kenzie, is that just because someone has turned 18 years old does not mean that that light bulb went off and that they are an adult and all the stuff that happened to them before just poof, and it magically went away because that's not mm. what happens. I mean, I love to say that's just the children that we didn't get to. They're the ones we missed um, and they've just aged out and we never got to them. And I mean, I, I love everything you're saying, Connie. It, it's like, uh, it's overwhelming. It's mm-hmm. overwhelming. Um, I think that's the first 
story that I ever heard. And, and you were there. It was our first home. Uh, one of our survivors, she was 19. She had been in foster care. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about pimps and trafficking in a support group. And she left the support group. And I followed her and I said, are you okay? And she said, no, I can't relate to these girls. She said, I know that I know that I know that I chose to hit the streets and pit myself out. I chose my pimp. She's like, I, I wasn't trafficked. She's like, I, this didn't happen to me. I chose it. And I said, okay, talk to me about, you know, how you got to that point. And she said, sure, I can tell you the day. She said, I was 12 years old. And she said, I was sick and tired. Not only was my father sleeping with me, but then he started having me sleep with my brothers. And she said, I remember the day I decided I'm leaving this house. I left, I ran away, I found a boyfriend and he started helping me realize how I could make money for myself. And I was like, okay, like light bulb went off for me. Everything you're saying right now is even when you say it's a choice and you break that down and you listen to someone's story and, and you're right, we've come far, but we haven't come far enough. And, and we even can't even in our world, you know, you have women saying it's our choice to be a porn star or work in the sex trade or, uh, work in prostitution and you've got states fighting to legalize prostitution. I mean, what would you say about that? To legalize prostitution? I'm like, no way, no way, because it's, it's going to drive it even more underground than it already is. And who are they legalizing it for? They're not legalizing Mm -hmm. it for the victims. They're legalizing it for the buyers and they're legalizing it for the traffickers. And it's not about um, having more money to be able to do restitution, to provide the services, all the services. There's so many services that are needed, that are needed uh, for the survivors. It's not about that. It's about uh, legalizing it, like I said, for the buyers and for the traffickers. And mm, yeah, and it's and and where it has, it's called the Nordic model. And in the countries where they have legalized prostitution, it has gone so much more underground so much more behind closed doors. Now, granted, there is a safety factor that could come into legalizing it in the sense of that it would be mandatory for anyone that's involved, we call it being in the life, to have to go have mandatory, you know, STD, HIV testing. Of course, in today's world, COVID testing, it would be mandatory um, to have those testings done. So from that healthcare perspective right there, that would be the only advantage. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at, um, Amsterdam and, you know, their own government will say it was the worst thing we ever did. It's like giving the keys to the city to under or to crime, you know, you're like, here you go, take it and run with it. And so, um, yeah, I think that we've got to look at places that have already done it and what's happened and the corruption and then what's the solution for that. Right. And, I also know that now, like in uh, the Netherlands, like if you want a job, one of those options that come up is prostitution. So mm-hmm. if you can't find a job and you need government assistance, then how fair is that to be told, go be a prostitute, you know? So right. it's just um, a whole, I mean, uh, wow, no words, but it still wrecks me the conversations I'm having now. Um, with other states that are still trying to um, fight for legalization of well, let's look at look. Let's look at Nevada now. It's not legal 
you know, all across Nevada, but we know the bunny ranch, right? That's like, everybody knows the bunny ranch. And I have met so many uh, women, right. That go there. So their, their traffickers will send them to the bunny ranch for two weeks to work at the bunny ranch. And then they have to go back out on the street. Then they come back to wherever they live within the United States. And then they're sent back out for two weeks again. And so people go, well, why, why would they do that? Because you see, it's another form of power and control. It's also another well, way for them to rotate. And I just, um, I don't know if you've seen it yet, because this just happened mm -hmm. within, I think, like the last day. But um, Becca Charleston, who's in Nevada, um, she's on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter right now, talking, pleading to stop legalized prostitution, mm -hmm. um, being one of the women that have been trafficked and prostituted in Nevada, and she's begging the state to end it. And so right. um, it, it is, it's like, you've got to hear um, from the people that have experienced uh, these types of things. And, and again, that's why I love hearing from you because you are uh, someone that can really have a voice for the voiceless, but someone that can speak from a place of understanding. Um, you know, Connie, I know that you aren't just leading a nonprofit to lead it, you know, and you've been all over from TED Talks to uh, being on councils to um, just an expert on, and, and you're constantly growing and learning and, and you're so humble, you know, you're so humble to say there's so many types of trafficking and, and I've just watched you even as you came alongside me and helped me grow and, and, and you wanted to learn from police and law enforcement and state attorney and what they're seeing. And, and I love that about you. And, and talk to me about right now, like what drives you to have your own nonprofit? You know, what, um, what do you provide that other organizations aren't providing? Cause I think it's really special what you do. Well, first, I want to say that we are a survivor-led organization. Um, I have just brought on as vice president um, a, young, a young woman that uh, Kenzie and I met when she was 19 years old, came into the program that we both worked for, um, is now 26 years old, has graduated with her degree in criminology with a minor in psychology, just got married September the 12th. Um, I walked her down the aisle and uh, gave her away, and she has come on as RVP. And so we can truly say that we are a survivor-led organization, and we are about filling the gap. And so when we fill the gap, there are so many ways to fill the gap, because you see, there's a lot of organizations, in, and my, since we're survivor-led, my heartbeat is to walk along, so, uh, alongside other survivor-led organizations um, and or survivor, um, excuse me, and or organizations that a large majority of their staff and in key leadership roles are survivors. And so filling that gap means about coming alongside of them. What are they missing? You know, what services do they need? So they, do they need mentoring? So we run mentoring groups. And because of COVID, everything has gone virtual. So we literally run mentoring groups for them, for the women that are in their residential programs, to the women that are in emergency housing, um, for survivor leadership, so that survivor leaders have all the tools that they need, how to be a speaker, how to be a trainer, how to run their organization, but then also filling the gaps. So for instance, we delivered 150 meals in the beginning of COVID. 
We've delivered over 2,000 masks to make sure that not just the programs had masks, but at literally folks that are experiencing homelessness on the streets, survivors that are still on the streets to make sure that they had hand sanitizers. So we had bags put together um, to, you know, who, who uh, wants to go to school and they need a laptop. They, um, a lot of survivors have lost all their documents. They have no documents. It costs mm -hmm. a lot of money to secure someone's birth certificate, their social security card, to get their food stamps, you know, all those things put together. So we have a, a post office box. It's, it's a, a literally mailing address. And survivors can use our address so that all their mail can come to us and then we can disperse it back out to them. And it doesn't matter if they're in a program, not in a program, on the street, but they need to know that there's a place that's secure for that. So we're also about school, you know, if you education, if we can help you in any way, you know, in education. So at some point, we would love to have an education fund that we can literally fund that. But right now, you know, we're funding things like um, inexpensive laptops and calculators and helping to pay for GEDs and, and those kinds of things. But our goal, our goal in filling the gap is a drop-in center. So our goal is actually a mobile drop-in center, not stationary, but mobile. So we can go to where they are instead of them trying to find us to come to us. I love that. And I just, I have to give you a plug, Connie, because <laughs> being, you know, on the front line for as long as I was, I don't think I could have ever understood how complex and diverse what a survivor needs mm -hmm. are. And so for me, you guys, I would say I've watched Connie, um, just give herself to organizations uh, for decades. And I've watched her um, be true to herself and knowing that survivors need services, whether they have not come out of the life, whether they are in a program, whether they are coming out of a program, every single survivor needs something different. And so for her to say, here I am to help people wherever they are on their journey is huge. And so I'm excited because Connie, is um, taking some of her grassroots to a whole nother level. <laughs> and um, I, I'm excited because they're overhauling their website right now and they need support. And so um, we're gonna do a little fundraiser and we're gonna, I'm gonna match up to $2,000 of what we raise. And so um, I'm excited, we're gonna get that out there and you're gonna see a link on my website um, and on my Facebook and Instagram. So you'll know how to get there. And we're super excited. So Connie, thank you so much for, this is hard. You know, I know you, what you and I talk about, um, off, you know, off podcast, uh, right. and just, you've experienced survivors, um, dying during COVID yeah. and you've watched how, uh, the world went into lockdown and you didn't hear about, you know, women on the streets, kids, uh, you, you didn't hear about it and you're not hearing about it. And you think of, you know, what we are hearing about is, uh, kids safety and all, I mean, but if you imagine that school is a place where kids can get away sometimes to have a break from their perpetrator and now they're at home, mm -hmm. um, there's just so many factors. And so, um, Connie, what's something you want to leave us with tonight and, you know, how can, an everyday person uh, do something 
what would your tip be for an everyday person, how they can be a part of this solution? Well, the first is learn everything that you can learn. And if it's reaching out to myself, reaching out to Kenzie, you know, we're victim to survivors, um, and Kenzie will post all that information for you, but we're on Facebook. So, you know, reach, reach out to me anytime at all and how I can help you. But it's about believing. When, when, when a child, when an adult mm-hmm. comes to you and says, this is what is happening to me, believe them. Even if for some reason something else is going on inside of you, say, I believe you. And, and here's the other part about that, because you see, so many of us have gone through things in our own childhood. So when, when a child or an adult comes to you and says, I'm being sexually abused, or someone is having me do porn, or I'm having to have sex so that I can have food, and you've experienced some kind of childhood trauma yourself, the tendency is to turn a blind eye. Not because you don't want to help, but because it hits your inner core. So I'm going to ask you to just take that for a moment, what that felt like for you, and imagine what it is. You can't ever walk in someone's shoes, but what it must be like to have to walk Mm -hmm. into their shoes. And then find a way to be proactive. So for instance, we have a post-it note initiative that's called Get Help, Get Out. They're literally little blue blue post-it notes. We would love to send them out to you. And you can be proactive. All you have to do is put them on the back of a, a bathroom stall. It has the National Human Trafficking Hotline number, which Kenzie and I both support very adamantly. Um, also, the text to be free. And it's a way for resources for uh, survivors. It's also a way for you to receive resources also. And then I would like to, um, I just have to share something if I can. So Kenzie and I, Kenzie shared that we traveled extensively together, shared lots of hotel rooms, would uh, attend, especially the porn conferences that we would attend were brutal because it was seven o'clock in the morning to like 11 o'clock at night, like five days in a row. Um, But the best were when we were trained law enforcement and we had nicknames for Kenzie. So the first oh, one, gosh. <laughs> you have to do this, okay? We're gonna um, end this on a boom, baby. Yeah. So the first nickname, the first nickname was the porn whisperer. I mean, the the prostitute whisperer, and law enforcement. They're the ones that named her. These law enforcement. These two names I'm sharing with you is from law enforcement. For the first was prostitute whisperer because they'd be like Ken's. Like we're out, like because I would go to Steens with her, and it was like the most amazing thing. I'd sit back and go. How did she just do that? And then they said, dang, Kenzie, you're the porn killer. Like, we know <laughs> we're not supposed to be watching this stuff. But by the time you first Connie starts and then you jump in, and by the time we're done, like, forget it. So anyway, I just oh, had to, I just had to, like, pass that in there. But again, oh, it's good. listening and it's having, <laughs> it's having very honest conversations with your children. And letting mm-hmm. your children know that there are no secrets, like no secrets, that your kids yes. can come to you about anything. You might have yes. to tell them you're a parent first, so you might need a moment to step away. And then you'll be back and just pretend like you have to get a glass of water. Okay. And, but have very, very honest conversations with your children and teach them the real name of their body parts. Because I will tell you what, how my father was able to have over 300 victims was because parents had cute little names for their daughter's body parts. So when he came Mm. in and said the real name, Mm. they had no idea and they let him do whatever he wanted to do. 
So it's very powerful. I mean, those are simple, simple things, you know, believe someone and talk to your children. And, you know, Connie, I had someone recently say to me, this was uh, within the last month. Well, what if I teach my child something and they don't even know it? So now I'm telling them something and it's too, and I said, what, what, wouldn't you rather teach your child than somebody else teach your child? Because somebody will teach your child. And the amount of phone calls I get from parents saying, oh, dang, you are right. And yeah, that's powerful. Simple. Thank you, Connie. You kept it simple You're welcome. and doable for everyone. And um, yeah, I mean, it. I love when you just shared my nickname. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's key though. I will say, you know, I was called a prostitute whisperer because um, all I did was listen to women tell me their stories. And they were so drawn to that. And, and I wasn't shook, you know, I, I didn't cry hysterically. I just listened and I told them, you are going to be okay. You are going to be okay. I believe you will be okay. And then they believe themselves. And so when you hear someone come to you and talk to you, I think it's so powerful to just listen Mm -hmm. and then just tell them they're going to be okay and walk with them. And as for being the porn killer, I mean, it's tough dating at that time in my life, you know, <laughs> killed a lot of dreams. And, and I'll just leave this podcast since you brought it up. You know, if you are into porn, you know, I got asked a lot, and Connie, we used to speak at colleges together. And, you know, I, I remember college kids asking me what kind of porn was okay. And I said, I don't know. I can't find any good porn. So I guess make it yourself. I don't know. And what I said was look them in their eyes. This is what got the police was they said, now I can't watch porn because I look in their eyes and I can tell they're forced Mm -hmm. and they're being raped and they don't want to be there. And so I'll leave you with those fun facts. That's how I got my (laughs) nickname. So (laughs) thank you, Connie Rose. We are going to get you your website. I adore you. you. And I think the world of you. So thank you, Connie Rose. You are welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Kenzie. All right. Take care. Love you. I really hope this conversation moved you as much as it did me. Oh my gosh, Connie made it so easy. Two key things that I took away from this was to believe someone when they tell you their story and have crucial conversations with the children in our life. You know, for more information, check out my website, KinseyPentecost.com to learn how to join furthering this movement and ending human trafficking. And as always, don't forget to follow the Balanced Girl podcast to be up to date with the latest episodes.